Welcome to the Going to Seed podcast. I'm Shane Simonson. Today, I'm interviewing Aussie plant breeder Damien Beaumont, whose many projects include the first laboratory-confirmed hybrid between a raspberry and a strawberry. However, Damien couldn't be with me to record this session. Instead, he agreed to be my guinea pig for the first ever episode where the guest is voiced using the power of AI. All the words were provided by Damien himself in response to my questions. I'm just using a text-to-speech program to translate his answers into podcast form. I hope you give this new technology a try today. While there is no substitute for chatting with a real-life person about breeding plants, there are a few billion potential guests for this podcast who cannot talk to us in person due to either technical or language barriers. If I can get this technology working well enough, I hope to extend it across the whole world and share the voices and experiences of diverse plant breeders in all sorts of places you probably never thought very much about before. I already have guests lined up in Peru, Zimbabwe and Bangladesh, and if you know any crop breeders that might be interested in sharing their story around the world, don't hesitate to recommend them as potential guests. Cross-cultural cross-pollination around crop breeding can only benefit everyone. Lastly, before we begin, I wanted to point out that the AI created a strange emotional glitch towards the end of the episode. I decided to leave it in as a kind of time capsule of the state of the technology today. Hearing a robot get overly excited about plant breeding felt strangely on brand for this show. So, without further delay, I bring you Damien Beaumont. So, Damien, tell me about your background. What was the path that led you to crop breeding? For me, crop breeding and vegetable growing started out as a necessity and has progressed from there. When I was young, we didn't have much money and always grew some vegetables. We didn't have a huge vegetable garden, but it was enough to make a difference. When our crops failed, we didn't have as much to eat. Back then, Apollo was one of the few tomato varieties we could buy. Apollo has large bland fruit low yields, and was poorly suited to my climate. We could usually also get some unnamed seedlings, but they were a bit hit and miss. I don't recall seeing tomato seeds for sale in town, but it was a long time ago, and I may have simply forgotten. The growing season was usually very short. One year the frosts stayed very late into spring, and the first killing frosts came in late summer. These killed all our tomatoes before they ripened, except for one of my unnamed plants. This plant produced short plants and small fruit that tasted great. I wanted to save seeds from that plant to ensure we had tomatoes the following year and was told that it didn't work that way and it wasn't possible to grow seeds that you got out of a tomato. I figured it had to be possible and being young I thought that cavemen did it so it couldn't be too difficult. So I scooped some seeds onto a piece of newspaper, I saved some seeds and grew them the following year. It was far easier than I thought and the results were better than any of the seedling varieties I could buy. There used to be a gardening show on TV called Gardening Australia. The show had an old guy called Peter Cundall who showed how to ferment tomato seeds. He died back in December 2021. I still ferment seeds the way I learned from watching that show, and I regret not reaching to him and thanking him for teaching me how to ferment tomato seeds. I grew seeds from that line of tomatoes for a few years, they always outperformed any seedlings we bought. 
When I was around 10 or 11 years old, being young and full of optimism, I wondered if I crossed this good tasting, guaranteed yielding tomato with other varieties. Perhaps I could cross it with something that produced larger crops. Perhaps I could get the best of both worlds. Once again, I figured that cavemen did this to domesticate modern crops, so it shouldn't be too difficult. I started trying to cross any tomatoes I could get, and only saved seeds from the best ones. I moved pollen from one plant to another. Sometimes I would emasculate the flower beforehand, but often wouldn't. I never bagged anything, and I had a lot of self-pollinated plants. I didn't have much idea what I was doing or what I wanted to achieve, but it worked. The short-growing season did a lot of the culling for me, and I only really culled for taste. Eventually, I ended up with a few decent lines of tomatoes, and I grew them every year until I moved out of home and went to uni. I didn't grow anything for a few years and have lost many of the lines I created. After going to uni, getting a job, and having kids, we bought a house and put in a small vegetable garden. I grew a few different heirloom vegetables and noticed how many didn't suit my needs in one way or another. I still had some of my very old seeds and was lucky enough to have some to germinate and was able to resurrect a few of the lines I created. Growing them again after years was almost like seeing an old friend. These old lines were developed when I was a child with lots of spare time but limited access to germplasm and very little education. I have less time to work on developing new lines now, but I have a far greater understanding of genetics and biology, and I have far greater access to diverse germplasm, so I'm able to create some interesting things. Some things I try to develop now because they meet my needs, other things I am trying to develop purely out of curiosity. And what are your local growing conditions like? Your space, your soil, your temperatures, what water do you use? Um, how do you manage fertility and weeds and pests? We used to live on small acreage in central west New South Wales for a few years. We had a mixed fruit orchard, some sheep and alpacas and poultry and things, and several vegetable gardens. It was extremely hot and dry out there. A lot of vegetables don't cope. So I did more plant breeding there, about seven years ago, we moved into a town block in a different climate, and I have far less space than I would like. I mostly have raised beds here, which are easier on my back and require far less weeding or digging. This means the soil was trucked in. I grow everything organically, mostly because I am cheap. I build soil fertility by digging in chicken manure, bedding from the guinea pigs, making compost, and things like that. Most winters we get a lot of frosts here, night temperatures can drop to about 10C, but the last few years the winters have been shorter and mild. Summers here are hot and dry, recently we have been getting summer days with temperatures into the low 40s. Because of the racid beds, weeds aren't too big an issue for me at the moment apart from things I have planted and have spread or self-seeded. Each year we seem to be hit with a different pest, things like Ruthaglen bugs, harlequin bugs or earwigs. Each spring I have huge problems with wood lice, which I think Americans call roll-up bugs or pill bugs. They eat my seedlings. Water can be a problem here. We are on tank water and have some access to bore water. The bore water can be a bit salty or high in metals, or the pH can be off, or it can come out of the tap looking very brown. At times it can have a lot of chlorine and smells weird and leaves a white residue after it evaporates. 
So, uh, Damien, what would you say are your priorities in crop breeding? I seem to pick up an idea with some crop and then can't stop thinking about it and researching it and trying new things until I either get what I want or realise it is not going to happen. I have a few different ideas for different vegetables, berries and some ornamental plants. I have different projects going, all of which are at different stages. Some I am yet to get the germplasm I want and make the initial cross. Others have stable varieties and lots are somewhere in between. So tell me more about your crop breeding projects. You can cover as many species as we've got room for because I know you've got quite a few on the go. Um, I really love to know um, what the species is, what your goals are for it, how did you originally source material and how do you manage cultivation, pollination, selection? Like, Tell me it all. I use a few different breeding strategies and I think they all have their place. Sometimes I plant a wide mix of things, let them cross, plant out the crossed seed and hope for the best. Other times I have two plants with known genetics that I intentionally cross and bag to prevent stray pollen and I draw up Punnett squares and work out what I will see and how to cull in each generation. Sometimes I have plants with a trait that I like but no idea of the genetics behind them, so I cross them and grow out a few generations to see what happens. Other times I am not even sure if things can cross, so I emasculate one and pollinate it and learn from whatever happens next. I have developed and stabilised a few different lines of different vegetables and named them after each of my kids and my wife. Among these are several tomatoes, a purple and white sweet corn and a deployed potato. We grow and eat these every year. I have a few breeding projects that I started but am not sure they are worth pursuing. Some spring flowering bulbs, these are just for fun. I have a giant parsley project that went too well and started becoming too big. Each leaf is almost as long as my arm. I am currently working with potatoes from True Potato Seed. I bred some nice diploid lines, some tetraploids are showing potential, and a wild potato species that I hope to cross with them for enhanced disease resistance. I have a few lines of brassicas, but no real direction with them. For me, brassicas are a numbers game. I grow a lot of plants, feed most to the chickens, and if something interesting appears in the mix, I can work towards stabilising that. I bred a thornless primocane raspberry, which produces four or more large crops per year and is very sweet. I have a yellow raspberry and a black raspberry that I want to cross with my thornless red raspberry to see if I can make them thornless and maybe increase their yield. All of this is good fun. Probably the most impressive crop breeding I have been involved in was attempting to cross a strawberry and a raspberry. I read about Luther Burbank's attempts and several other unsubstantiated claims at producing this intergeneric cross and it sounded possible. I wanted to give it a go. I started by getting as many different species of strawberry and raspberry and different ploidy levels that I could. Some were named with known ploidy levels, others unnamed with unknown ploidy, some were claimed to be a certain species, but after growing them I have my doubts. I figured if this was possible, it would not be easy, it would be a numbers game where the more plants I could grow and cross the better chances of having one succeed. I am not very good at storing pollen, so relied on having them flower at the same time. I emasculated flowers early, then crossed, and did the reciprocal cross of every strawberry with every raspberry. 
I bagged the flowers after emasculation, only removing the bag for a moment to transfer the pollen to hopefully prevent unwanted pollen getting in. While the bags would exclude bees, flies and other larger pollinators, I worried about tiny ants. I sprinkled some ant sand around the plants to hopefully prevent tiny ants from carrying pollen between flowers. While I normally grow everything organically, I figured it was worth using an insecticide for this. I also emasculated and bagged some flowers from each plant without pollinating and used this as a kind of negative control. None of these negative controls ever started to form fruit. They all aborted early. This gave me hope that maybe any fruit that was formed may have been an actual intergeneric hybrid. Most flowers from my attempts aborted early. Some looked like they were starting to develop and hung on for a while, then aborted. The only one that showed any promise was a diploid vesca crossed with a yellow fruited red raspberry of unknown ploidy. Presumably, this was a diploid rubus ideus. As I only had the one cross that showed any promise, I kept it bagged until I picked the berry so that birds didn't take it. I collected the seeds and cold wet stratified them prior to planting. When they grew, they looked a lot like strawberry seedlings. I was not sure that this was a true intergenic hybrid. The seed parent always has high germination rates for me and very few of these F1 seeds germinated. The parent strawberry grows a tremendous number of runners from a young age. The F1 seedlings have never produced any runners. The F1 produces a lot more flowers than the strawberry parent and the flowers are always subtended by a leaf. These F1 plants fruit from noticeably earlier in the season than the parent and the F1 produce fruit weeks after the parent has stopped for winter. The leaflets in the F1 had elongated petiolules and the edge of the leaves curls a little and a few other interesting things were seen. As they grew, the plants became noticeably larger than the strawberry parent and had a lot more flowers. One F1 plant produced pink fruit, some produced white, but most produced red berries. Some fruit tasted unlike any strawberry I've eaten, others were insipid. All of this indicated that the cross may have been successful. There were a few other abnormalities, but the plants looked like strawberry plants, and nothing proved beyond doubt that this was a true intergeneric hybrid. I saved some seed and grew out F2 plants in the hopes that this would clear up any questions I had one way or the other. Once again, the seed did not have great germination rates. The parent strawberry is quick from seed to maturity. The F2 was small and weak and took an extremely long time to reach maturity. The taste of the F2 was a lot nicer than the F1 and nicer than the strawberry parent. The F2 have all produced red fruit that looks just like the Vesca strawberry and so far have not produced any runners. The F2 plants are noticeably smaller and less vigorous than the F1 plants. While I had hoped growing out these F2 seed would prove definitively one way or another, if this was a true intergeneric hybrid, I was still not certain. I contacted a few labs in the hopes that someone would test some samples for me, but had no luck. After chasing replies, being told that they would get back to me shortly, but then, never hearing anything, I eventually gave up. Then, Shane, you contacted me and got me in touch with a team at the CSIRO who work with proteomics. I am not really across proteomics and had to read up on it. While it certainly isn't the standard method for testing if something is a hybrid, I am very appreciative that my samples could be tested.
I sent samples to the CSIRO of both parent plants, F1 plants and F2 plants. Everything was bagged and labelled and I was excited to have some results after years of growing these things without knowing. The CSIRO conducted their testing and concluded that these were indeed intergeneric hybrids. It is very exciting. To the best of my knowledge, this is the first time an intergeneric hybrid between Fregaria and Rubus has ever been independently verified. While we are on this topic, if one of your listeners has a contact at a lab who may be willing to test these laves and validate the CSIRO's results, please get in touch with me. That is such a fascinating story and I really hope it helps open people's eyes to the possibilities of intergeneric hybrids. You don't have to be limited to species with the same name um, before the species. Uh, Luther Burbank did some really good work showing the possibilities there and it's kind of sad how his discoveries have been forgotten in the modern age. Now, for bonus round questions, if you could work wonders with any species, what would you create? I've read a lot about dahlias being used as a food crop. I would love to grow a dahlia with a sweet root that tastes like pineapple or something. <laughs> I have grown a lot of dahlias from seed, and so far all of mine taste a lot like celery, so I don't think I will ever be the one to achieve this. I also have a fondness for buckwheat. It is a great food. But I have... Who's removing the hole? I would love to develop a hole less buckwheat. I'd grow some buckwheat, hoping something would turn up that I could develop further, and I have tried to induce mutation but so far no luck. Looking forward, how do you hope to pass your work on to future generations? I grow and sell plants and seeds. I tend to give away extras in the hopes that other people will also be generous with them. I have donated seeds and plants to seed banks, community gardens and some school gardens. So far, my kids don't seem overly taken by vegetable growing and that's okay. Maybe someone else will take it on. I also keep a blog where I write about some of the things I grow, some of the things I tried that worked, and some of the things I tried that didn't work. Hopefully, the blog helps to inspire someone to grow food and gives someone the skills and knowledge needed to grow some food. Far too many gardening books and gardening shows are made by people who have never actually grown the plants they are talking about. Far too many seed sellers have clearly never grown a lot of their plants and they provide growing advice that will cause most people to fail. While I am not an expert and while the things I do will not work in every garden across every climate, I hope that describing what works and does not work for me in my blog may be of use to someone else. It's been really great talking to you today, Davian, or AI Davian. To round off, what is your final message to people who are thinking of getting into crop breeding. I think it is like any hobby. If you enjoy gardening, then give it a go. If you are a good enough gardener to grow a tomato or a radish or whatever, then you are a good enough gardener to save its seeds. If you are saving seeds from year to year, it feels like a natural progression to try and make something that is better for your needs. And our very last thing, how can people get in touch with you or learn more about the amazing breeding projects that you've been doing? Probably the easiest way to contact me is through my blog, livingmudflower.blogspot.com. I have a for sale page on the blog that has my email address. That way, if I ever change my email address, I can still be contacted. 
as well as people trying to buy seeds or plants, I get contacted through that page by postgraduate students from time to time or from vegetable growers with questions. While I am not an expert, I am happy to try to help if I can. So, let me know in the comments what you think about this new AI technology. And if you know any people around the world who would be interested in uh, using it as a way of accessing this podcast to tell their story, I would love to hear more about them. My contact details will be in the show notes. So looking forward to next episode and I'll see you then.